Good afternoon everybody and welcome to Transcending Together with Julianne and Lee. Afternoon everybody, welcome to Transcending Together. It's a hello from me and a hello from Lee. So I hope everybody's doing well. I haven't been particularly well. I had this brand spanking new COVID strain, which is called JN.1. And it's a lovely thing. Google it. You'll see. It affects pretty much every part of your body. And it reminded me of there was a Zimbabwean comedian back in the day. And he used to do parodies of adverts and stuff. And the one which he did was he said, so the ad used to go, are you feeling tired and listless? Do you feel like the bottom has fallen out of your world? Well, then take Zakanaka <laughs> tablets and soon you will feel like the world has fallen out of your bottom. The good one. Is that how you felt <laughs> this week? That's how I felt this week. And I'm still not, to be crude, farting with confidence. So take that to mean to mean Cheers. what it means. Cheers. <laughs> anyway, the, the good news is I've dried all the alcohol out of my system. So hopefully I'll keep it out. So let's see how we go. Not making any promises though. All right. So Lee, what you been up to? How are you feeling? Anything new on your side? I'm feeling all right. I've got some leave coming up from for work. So I've just been crazy busy trying to get stuff done it's like doing all the stuff now before you go on leave and then when you come back from leave it's catching up on all the stuff so going on leave is never pleasant when you have a job is it i i mean this is i guess this is one of the big frustrations because you 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 go on leave to get a break but the problem is it doesn't stop so by the time you get back you've then got to do the backlog plus the forward load yeah exactly it's like I mean, I'm in, a, I'm in a situation like that where because I'm a contractor, I'm forced to stop working between the 18th of December and the 2nd of January. And I was having a discussion with my boss about this and we're launching a, a major software on the 7th of December, which actually needs, we, we either need to get it in before Christmas or it's fine, it can wait till after Christmas. But if we can get it in before Christmas, there's a huge benefit to the organization. So I said to him, so if we do go live, you're expecting the project manager to stand down for two weeks while this thing's in early life cycle support. And he's like, well, so I said, you don't think I ought to be around for that? He said, well, what else are you going to do? I said, pretty much what I do every week. My job isn't, it's like, I don't need my minions around me. Even if all my minions went off on leave, I would still have a lot of work I needed to do. I mean, that's the nature of a managerial role, right? So it's just really frustrating. And it's one of those things where as, as a contractor, Tech, what they call technically inside IL35, which means the taxman deems you a full-time employee, even though you're not. So you're taxed as a full-time employee, but as a contractor, you're not given the benefits of a full-time employee. So there's no paid leave, there's no benefits, no pension, healthcare, all of that sort of stuff. And they can force you to stand down. So it's anyway... It is what it is. And I suppose, truth be told, I probably wouldn't take the leave if because I, I like money. 
because I'm paid by the day. So <laughs> it's good to kind of force me to, to take a break, right? I guess we should all do that. So I just like money anyway. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I suppose my daily rate is higher than those who are full-time employees anyway. So swings and roundabouts, right? That's got its advantages, doesn't it? Sometimes you not the beneficiary of those benefits, and sometimes you yeah. are. And sometimes, particularly at the end of the year, it it does you good to have some some down downtime, mm. recharge those batteries. I tell you what, I'm looking forward to. I'm not looking. I'm not specifically looking forward to Christmas. I I, I saw a lovely Christmas jumper that I want to order. I just haven't done it yet, and it's got a cat on it, all tangled up in Christmas lights that flash, and then underneath it says "Merry Kiss My Ass." Love it. So, I love yeah, it. Um, so, send me the link. I'm going to have to get that as well. Okay, I'm going to see <laughs> if I can find it again. It might have been on Wish, in which case, no. But I'll let you. I'll see where it was. It, it popped up on my <laughs> Facebook feed. Maybe it's on Timu. So I'm not necessarily looking forward to Christmas. As a family, we've never really done Christmas being pagan. So the big day for us is the 21st. And that's the winter solstice. Oh, excuse me. And that's where, after that, the days start getting incrementally longer. I love the winter solstice. <laughs> but as my partner loves to say, her granny always used to say, she's Scottish, and she always used to say, as the days lengthen, the cold strengthens. So I'm like, I don't care as long as I get more daylight hours. And down here in Brighton, they do the annual burning of the clocks. And it was quite funny because last year, I took a picture of the clocks all burning. And because last year was not a particularly good year, really. Neither was 21 or 20. But I think it was the first <laughs> burning of the clocks since COVID. And because I think they cancelled it in 20, obviously. So 22 was the first sort of time they did it again. And so I posted a picture on Facebook saying, burn, baby, burn. Burn them all down. The clocks, right? And I, and yeah. I got put in Facebook jail for inciting violence, oh, for burning dear. clocks. Oh, and yeah. they came back and they said, well, it's euphemism. Anyway, such as it is, I said, you're actually being culturally inappropriate towards me because burning of the clocks is a cultural festival respected by pagan people. And you're telling me that my religion is offensive. They didn't care. I mean, there's no point in arguing yeah. with them at all. If you deviate slightly from the narrative, you get you get punished for it. So it's it's just not even worth fighting about. It isn't, it. hey. So we've just been rambling on. That we we do actually have a purpose to this show this week, and we there, there's been quite a few different things going on and. Because we missed last week due to my COVID, quite a lot has happened. So we kind of want to catch up on a few things and not talk about maybe just one thing in particular. But as usual, they're always connected. And someone shared something with me this week, which was, so there's, there's a pub in London called the Vauxhall Tavern, which I'm sure many LGBTQ plus people are aware of, and they run a series of events which they call Butch Please, which is aimed specifically at the lesbian community. And, but 
being a butch, so so butch lesbian, their whole butch please thing is a celebration of butch lesbians. And that obviously includes a lot of trans men who would have started out identifying as, as a butch lesbian and then made their transition. So they want their, their event in December is a celebration of trans men. And so they had this poster up with these absolutely gorgeous trans men. And I was like, come and celebrate and all the rest of it. And mm. so KJK got hold of this and posted it. I can't remember where she posted it. it probably it's either on Truth Social or, or formerly known as Twitter. And she was encouraging her supporters to join her to protest the event in solidarity with cisgendered lesbian women who it was basically like we need to protest these delusional people who have mutilated their bodies come along down bring your cameras and you and it was just so offensive and i know i said a couple of weeks ago like because she'd been deplatformed on on youtube she'd kind of crawled under a, ro a rock and i didn't know where she had got to but clearly she's back or she never went away and she's now trying to get herself back into the consciousness of our society. And the thing which really, really riles me up over and above the obvious is she's a straight woman. She's straight. So she, who, wh why would you as a lesbian community ever allow someone like that to be your spokesperson? I just, the mind boggles about that. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, as a as a cisgendered lesbian myself, she certainly doesn't speak for me, and I don't think she speaks for the vast majority of of the community. And I mean, just the sort of historical significance of the Vauxhall Tavern, it's it's more than just a, a bar or a venue. It's it's a symbol. It's a it's a place of refuge, where our community has found solidarity and safety and a, a decision to host somebody or, or for somebody with her views to be associated with the Vauxhall Tavern is, is just a direct affront to, to this legacy. Well, she's not associated with it. She, the, she the wants tavern. to go there and protest outside and harass protest, people. Yeah. Going, yeah. Sorry, just to be clear, because it sounded like you were saying she's trying to associate herself with it. But she's not. She's standing against. No, but yeah. it's a place of significance in historically. It's one of our safe spaces. Um, so you know, exactly. So it's like a direct attack. And I, I kind of sort of at my wits' end of what you do with someone like that because you they come at you with violence. It's sort of similar to, in some ways, to the conflict in the Middle East at the moment because you've got decades of violence on both sides and but one side is vastly greater in num in in resources than the other and then when the other side pushes back it's like the playground bully you've been bullied and bullied and bullied and then you push back and they're like i yeah, they pushed me over and that's exactly what they do and i because of our lack of um visibility in the mainstream media, it's almost impossible for us to 
create a platform where we can actually have our voices heard. We, we are just silenced. And I think it's disgraceful. And I think this country has a lot to answer for when it comes to, to that kind of thing, because it just really, we, we just shouldn't be at this stage in our civilization if, if we are spiraling upwards, ever upwards, we should have left this behind decades ago, which makes me think that we are just on a circle, just going round and round and round and never actually ascending. And if anything, every time we go round, we go down a little bit and down a little bit and we take this crap down with us. So it's really very concerning for me. I do have plans afoot, but I can't really talk about them yet because they haven't come to fruition. But hopefully we will be able to raise the certainly the profile of the show. So um, we'll, we'll see how we go with that. Hopefully, I'm, I'm just really, really hopeful that this initiative that I'm working on will pay off. And when it does, you all will be the first to know. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more chat. Did you know we've got an absolutely wonderful merch store? You can buy merch from the show. You can buy this mug, which supports my rugby team, the Sussex Dragons. This is one of my favorites. This is best part of waking up, turf tears in my cup. We also have t-shirts which support my rugby team and t-shirts which express our dissatisfaction with England rugby for the way they've treated trans people. And for you bikers out there, we've got our Sisters on Steel Motorcycle Club. Scan this QR code or follow the links on tigergirl.substack.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. So just before the break, I, I touched on the Middle East thing, which I know we've covered it before, and I know it's being covered ad nauseum, and I know that amongst certainly our listener community, there is a, a more of a leaning towards the Palestinian cause. I watched a really good interview this week with a guy called Harvey Finkelstein, who's been a really powerful advocate for the Palestinian cause for, for decades. And he was saying, uh, he was being interviewed by Piers Morgan, which, and I only watched it because somebody shared it with me saying, this is a really good example of how to deal with Piers Morgan. And with the whole narrative being like, if you, do, if you say anything in defense of the Palestinians, it's like, oh, so you are supporting the, the, the massacre of the 7th of October, you're saying that was okay, that was justified. And what he was saying, what Fingerstein was saying was, he said, well, before I, he said, I can't actually come out and, and denounce what they did without understanding the context in which it happened. So he said, mm. you cannot lose sight of the fact that Gaza is a concentration camp. And of course, Piers Morgan was trying to say um, the, the, the Israeli Defense Force has been on a worldwide tour trying to garner support and showing this 45-minute video of footage, captured footage and stuff of the whole thing. And, um, and Piers' thing is like, it's horrific, it's terrible, it's all the rest of it. How can you justify that? And he said, well... And, and he said, because so, Finkelstein's parents were concentration camp survivors from World War II. 
and he said, what do you, do you think your parents would support that? And so, so Finkelstein said, well, I can't speak for them. They've passed. So, but what I do think they would think is if a bunch of inmates in a Nazi concentration camp managed to break out, they probably would have done the same thing to the local German community and other Jewish people probably would have been pleased that they did it. So you've got to think of it in that context. These people broke out of a concentration camp and went and caused mayhem and chaos. But it's no different to the mayhem and chaos that Israel is inflicting and has inflicted on Gaza for decades, for decades. So I just thought that was a really interesting interview, and I'm gonna—I'll see if I can find it and I'll put it in the links because it's really—I mean, Piers Morgan just—it's first time I've actually seen him really struggle to—he didn't—he even stopped interrupting him, which is unusual for Piers because he'll ask you a question, you start answering, and then he just talks over you. He's got to be the most vile person out there. I mean, how? how... Yeah, but I mean, it—it it all comes. Sorry, it all comes back to like freedom of speech, which is a pillar of democratic society. The fact that now you cannot say anything against the state of Israel labels you as a fascist, labels you as, and it's ridiculous because all people are saying that, that have this view that cha changes significantly from the mainstream narrative is, hang on a minute. What we must condemn is the treatment of, of those people in, in Gaza. And to me, it's a little bit like perhaps these so-called concentration camps, as you put it, is a template for the 15-minute cities that we've spoken about. It's it's like a sandbox and an experiment to see see what happens. So if they break out of that and they put up a bit of resistance, then maybe fall the coming 15-minute cities, they're going to have to adjust tactics slightly in case there's like an uprising. But the fact that you are like condemning the behaviour and the, the treatment of, of the people in, in Gaza, it's it's just you, you, you can't even do that anymore. You can't say anything about against Israel, the, the state of Israel, not necessarily the people. You just can't say anything against it anymore. And I, one of the things which... Finkelstein talked about was the difference between sympathy and empathy, where he was saying mm -hmm. sympathy is, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Empathy is, what if it happened to me? How, how what would I do in that situation? And mm -hmm. he was trying to get across the point that, and, and he said, like at the outset, and everybody, Owen Jones, everybody who is covering this issue from the left is saying, Nobody is saying what Hamas did was right. Nobody's saying what they did was right. What they're saying is, and they're saying it was an atrocity. There were war crimes committed by Hamas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so the left is not allowed to use, or pro-Palestinians are not allowed to use the way the um, Israelis have treated the Palestinians over the last 40, 50 years. They're not allowed to use that as a justification for the actions of Hamas on that day. They say, oh, 
are you saying you condone it? Okay, so they're not allowed to say, well, it's 50 years in the making and this is what happens when, when it breaks. So pro-Palestinians yeah. are not allowed to use that, that narrative, that it, that it was justified on that basis. But then they'll do mental gymnastics and say Israel's response is justified on the basis of what Hamas did. So they can use it. They can use mm. a single incident in 50 years to go in and completely level an entire civilization, um, bring it down to rubble, entire community, reduce it to rubble, kill thousands, tens of thousands of children, uh, innocent civilians, because of what happened on the 7th of October. But Hamas couldn't go and do what they did because of f 50 years of brutal oppression by the Israelis. And that's what you're yeah. getting at. It's that double standard, that thing where you just, you, you've got to apply the same lens to it. And people must have been living under a rock if they are not aware of the issues going on that have been going on in Palestine for the last however many years. And I often think like, do you remember the Warrington bombing, the IRA bombing in Warrington, where they, they set off an IED in a shopping center back in the 70s or 80s? It, was, it must be in the 80s. Do, do you remember that? Slight, slight bells, but it was my before my time in this. So the Warrington bombing. So that was the IRA. So this was before the peace deal that they achieved. And so and that was horrendous. I mean, it was a Saturday morning, I think. So it was families doing their, their shopping. So it was specifically aimed at, at hitting innocent civilians. It wasn't a military target. And that's one of the things the IRA always used to do is they'd hit civilian targets because the military targets were too well defended. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and that's what terrorists do. It's like the Magoo Bar bombing in Durban mm -hmm. in the 1980s. Because the military infrastructure on the on the oppressor's side is always so much more sophisticated. So when people say, well, there would have been more sympathy for Hamas if they'd, they'd targeted military operate, military things, you like, it's not even David and Goliath. It's Goliath and the rock <laughs> that David had. It, yeah. It's like, but with the Warrington thing, how would the world have reacted? Everybody is horrified with what the IRA did, rightfully so. Mm. So would Britain have been justified going and occupying Dublin because that's where the terrorists came from? Let's just bomb Dublin to rubble. Is Dublin in the North Ireland? I, never, I always get Dublin. And, no, it's in the Republic. So Dublin is in the Republic. Yeah. Belfast is in... Republic and Belfast is in, the, in right. Northern Ireland. So... Maybe, so, so should Britain have then rolled their tanks into Dublin and, and raised it to rubble because the IRA, they, they, that's where they came from? Is that not an equivalent? Is that not the same thing? The, the, the other argument is that the state of Israel has a right to defend itself. Well, so did Britain. I don't think so anyone, did Britain. I don't think the, the narrative is, is arguing against it, but the point I raise is how much retaliation is justified and how much is just, well, now we're going to go in and destroy them. This has given us an excuse, an excuse, a legitimate reason.
and and it's like oh well they they're in underground tunnels under hospitals and and things like that unfortunately it's it's not these huge big military installations that we can just attack with precision rockets they've gone underground and they use people as human shields it's like how much retaliation or how much of a response of defense is enough well i think the point there is of course they were underground like you say i mean they they're not they're not because they're not a sovereign country which they were supposed to be under the two state solution because they're not recognized as a state they're not allowed to have a standing army and you better believe the israelis would never let them have a standing army so they don't have an organized military of course they don't they're not allowed one so of course it's underground it's just like why is everyone why is anyone surprised about that that's what i don't understand why it's like exactly. the ira the ira was not the republic of ireland's army it wasn't an attack by the republic of ireland on britain everybody understood that the ira represented a faction within the republic of ireland a militant faction and everybody understood that and that's why there was no collective punishment for the people of the republic of ireland because of something that the ira did so and and we we think like that because we're intelligent because we're educated because we civilized people why can't people make that same extension to the people of palestine lest it needs reminding it was their land first in 1940 it was the state of palestine and the west parachuted in the jewish communities who almost immediately set about there was the nakba in the 1950s where they drove the palestinians off is of israeli land and the problem is it's it's beyond the memory of most people alive today so people unless they learn from history they of course they're going to repeat it because the collective consciousness has forgotten that this is what happens when you treat people like this when you it's it's the same as south africa it was inevitable that the people would rise up because you cannot subjugate an entire population of people force them into ghettos and squatter camps and townships and concentration camps in the case of Gaza you can't do that and not expect something to happen it it's i just don't understand why people don't see this i don't understand it, it just so and and when it bursts it's like bursting a boil all the shit comes out what i'm saying but you're not the boil you don't like cut off your nose to spite your face thing right oh i've got a boil on my arm so let me just cut my arm off you deal just with the boil but when it erupts yeah. it erupts and it's painful and it's awful and it's disgusting um which isn't actually just to clarify not one of the side effects of covid j in one <laughs> that's not why i'm using that as an analogy <laughs> but you can't separate the it was inevitable i think this is the problem is you cannot subjugate people and not expect them to rise against you it just I just don't understand why people can't seem to get that that yes it was all 
always going to uh, result in that. And people say, oh, they targeted Israeli civilians. Well, as, as we said, they couldn't target the military because they so woefully outgunned. And it's not like the Israelis haven't got 50 years of, of form on murdering civilians. So it's like they push back and what happens? Oh, I'm the victim, I'm the victim. Meanwhile, they've been bullying their way around the, the playground for the last however many years. And it just... And then finally, the bullied kid pushes back and suddenly they're the victim. The bully is the victim. And it just makes me... Inevitable. Makes me so angry. And we've just spent a whole segment on this and it wasn't even in our show notes. <laughs> but obviously it's something I'm still like really... And I'm Jewish for heaven's sake. So if anyone wants to get upset about all of this, I'm Jewish. Okay. I mean, I, I think it's it's just a different. It's just a different. We see things from a different perspective to the programming and the the, the manipulation that other people are subjected to through the mainstream media. And this is a a theme that we have continued throughout our episodes: is think for yourself. Don't just be take the blinkers off and think for yourself. Look at the big picture, look at what's going on and do some independent thinking. Don't rely on the programming that you've been subjected to. Look look, look at it from your own sovereign perspective about what's Show going on. Show some genuine empathy. What would you do? All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about something else, hopefully. <laughs> See you in a bit. The world's largest radio station for the trans community, Trans Radio UK. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. Sorry for that last rather heavy segment, but it did circle us back to something that I think is is a good parallel, and that is the extent to which the community and trans people especially lack the attention of mainstream media. I think that's one of our biggest challenges. And the IDF, Israeli Defense Force, have used their financial resources and political connections to travel around the world showing this 45-minute video to select groups of people who aren't allowed to watch it more than once and can't take away a copy to do their own research and independently verify it. Owen Jones did a really good thing on this, and I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the, uh, I'll put a link to it. But um, so that's, I think, the, the thing which we as the trans community really struggle with because we just don't have the ear of the mainstream media. Nobody's listening. And I was thinking about this this week. And they so, so we know statistically that trans people represent 0.1% of the population. Yet somehow we're an existential threat to human society such that we need to be eradicated. And the right, yes, the right do use that vocabulary. They do not believe we have a right to exist. We are vilified. We talked about it when we did the transgenocide. We are very clearly identified as vermin, pedophiles, groomers. They want to bring us down to the lowest level to justify ultimately when they hope to come for us. and. 
but it just got me thinking and and this is actually where where I've said on more than one occasion that we are not uh, uh, because our detractors have the ear of mainstream media even though they are a, a minority view this is my view i don't believe the majority of british people think the way these people do but they have access to the media so the media amplifies their voices and it makes it very difficult for us to have our voice heard and and you see this when they have non-trans people on a panel discussing trans issues and you're like well who are you to speak on our behalf it's like having kjk speak for lesbian women when she's not a lesbian so it makes me think that maybe we do have more support than we realize and maybe we do have influence not influence but allies and maybe the reason why they see us as a threat is because they recognize that actually we do have support we do have the sympathy and the empathy of the people of this country um and i still be- I, i honestly believe that and i think if if the gender criticals and our detractors believe we are a threat um it must be because people support us otherwise they w- it's easy enough to ignore us surely we want 0.1% of the population what possible effect can we have we 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 can't swing elections we can't influence whitehall so why are they and i think it's because they know that theirs is the minority view and that's why they fight so hard to try and make their point of view the only one that's available to everybody out there what do you think i mean like i just want to pick up on the point where you mentioned just ignoring them it's like saying to a child who's being bullied just ignore them just ignore them and you often find that if you do ignore them the 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 trouble goes away or it's not as as prominent by ignoring them but they're not ignoring transgender people they they it's like it's it's almost as if they they're scared about having different viewpoints about life one that differs from a mother a father and and children that conservative family view but we we all know that we come in different shapes and forms and things like that and it's hard to ignore if if they your viewpoint is so fundamentally different to somebody else's viewpoint i mean when they i mean that whole thing about just just ignore the person there's that expression isn't there about don't let someone live rent free in your mind in your head and we obviously living rent free in kjk's because she just cannot seem to sleep while we exist um <laughs> it it sort of gets me thinking about what's going on over the pond at the moment which is donald trump recently gave a speech at a rally and it's been fairly loudly uh, covered in terms of there's a really great article here uh, in the washington post where they say <laughs> trump goes full hitler by calling political foes vermin and i mean it was an absolutely disgraceful diatribe that this man espoused and he so 
he accused undocumented immigrants of poisoning the blood of our country, uh, which is Hitler described Jews and migrants as poisons, the blood of Germany and the Aryan race. Um, he went on to say that we pledge to you that we will root out the communist, Marxist, fascist and left and the radical left thugs that live like vermins within the confines of our country which is another call back to Hitler saying that the communist Marxists will be rooted out. And then the, the, the internal threat. So Hitler went on that the enemy, the enemy within, I mean, people talk about the enemy within that comes from Mein Kampf and Trump was the threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous and grave than the threat from within which was also, and somebody summed it up perfectly where he said, he's not similar, it's not echoing Mein Kampf, it is Mein Kampf, and it's not insignificant that the likes of KJK and her followers and people who speak at her events quote from Mein Kampf, because that's what they are, and it's like our, our, friend, from, our, our friend from America, who, who was on our show a while ago, and just gone completely blank on her name i'll remember it do you kaylee, kaylee that's it sorry sorry kaylee <laughs> COVID brain so it's like kaylee was saying is that if you're at a rally and there are neo-nazis at your rally on your side of the fence you're at a neo-nazi rally you can't say well they just came along and we just we gave them tea and cake and invited them our side of the barrier so I mean, it's almost it's almost simplistic to say if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. This is, I mean, Trump has gone full fascist. And like I have this unreasonable optimism that the, we have allies, that, that as a community, we actually are more empathized and sympathized with than the right would like everybody to believe. I think in America, I think they just need to have their election demonstrate that this man does not have support and just move on. Hopefully they can move on from it. And likewise with us, I really hope we can just get rid of these terrible Tories and, and, and move on from them because 13 years of their fascism and right-wing dogma have brought this country to its knees. And we have to do everything we can. And I, I was quite disappointed this week to read that Labour do not support tactical voting. And it just, I think the thing which really bothers me about that is there are seats where they know they're not going to win. They know they don't have enough support to win. But if they encourage their voters to vote Lib Dem, the Lib Dems have a chance of winning. Maybe the Lib Dems have 33% support and Labour has, I don't know, 20% support. That takes them to 53. But that implies then the Tories have 47. So if you don't vote tactically, then the Tories will get 47, the Lib Dems will get 33 and Labour will get 20. They still won't have won the seat, but the Tories will have. 
And this is where absent proportional mm. representation, which we don't have, sadly, tactical voting is the only way we're going to get rid of these guys. Unless, what I'm also hopeful for, is Nigel Farage does get his, uh, what are they, his, his latest thing, his latest party called, I don't care. Uh, anyway, he... Is it the... I, I also can't think what it's called. Is it the Reform Party or something like that? Reform Party, something like but that. But this is exactly what happened back in 2013 or where, whenever it was, where UKIP pulled the Tories to the right. So they did all sorts of deals with UKIP. So the UKIP would, would drop their their candidates. And I think Nigel Farage has just rinse and repeat the same thing. He's gonna he's created his reform party to make a lot of noise, to put a threat to the Tories that he can split their vote, which he can. Uh, it's a split on the right instead of a split on the left, left for a change. And so if if he doesn't do that this time around, but I have no reason to believe that that his plan isn't exactly the same. It's the only way he can keep himself relevant. He knows he can't win a single seat, but he can spoil it for the Tories. The Tories know that, and I think he just wants to use it to hold them hostage, which it doesn't, I mean, I, I have no sympathy for them on that, but the problem is every time they capitulate to him, they go further and further right. So maybe our friend Suella and Pretty and all the other fascists can go and stand on the, the reform platform. I mean, I notice they, they don't want to give up their Tory badge, to go to the right-wing party that actually espouses their views. I mean, that's real commitment there, right? Hey, I'm totally up for this one because I believe so much in it that I'm prepared to stand on it. Like Jeremy Corbyn. He's, he's like, fine, Labour kicks me out. I'll just stand as an independent. Anyway, we're going to take a quick mm -hmm. break. And when we come back, I'll ask Lee what she thinks about that. <laughs> See you in a bit. The world's largest radio station for the trans community, Trans Radio UK. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. So I promised I'd ask Lee to give her thoughts on Trump, Vermin, Hitler, whether we possibly do have support that we're not aware of. I mean, I, I, I'd like to just come back to the, the term vermin and how it might be relevant to our community. And it's because it's it's part of this larger narrative. And it's about how those people in power, how they view and treat those who are different. And it's about recognizing patterns that are dehumanizing. Um, and standing against them regardless of who the immediate targets are. So in Trump's case, he was speaking specifically about the United States, but he, he's, he's a leader of the world and his viewpoint is um, transmitted to hundreds and thousands of people that will then adopt that viewpoint as, as their own. And we've seen throughout history how harmful rhetoric can escalate into harmful actions. And I, I think that as a community who is already battling for recognition, for rights, I think the stakes are high. And I, I think words like that are, are very, very damaging. And it's almost as if leaders should think before they speak. 
because there's a there's a knock on consequence and you're implying he can think to what they say he thinks true (laughs) but no you're right i mean it's the expression which we've used before is that gives people with those views a cloak of respectability. It's like when Rishi Sunak says, of course a woman is a woman. You'd be, it's, it's obvious. Then it says, well, the prime minister thinks this. So, so I do think that is the danger, is somebody with his influence, he might only influence a minority of Americans, but he drapes them in a cloak of, of respectability because this man was he was a president of the united states and they they hold up their ex-presidents like they're kings and it it just does give them respectability anyway in this last segment Mm -hmm. i wanted to talk about something which was going on which is going on at the moment and that is they finally actually managed to to start the brianna guy trial and I've been following that, and it's been really heartbreaking. And the thing which struck me about it is is these two kids who committed the murder were were psychopaths. That you read like that they were public. They published like excerpts of their diaries, and they premeditated this. They planned this. They had a list of kids they wanted to kill. And, I mean, the one thing that doesn't seem to be clear from these transcripts that they've published was that Brianna was targeted specifically because she was trans. It might have been... So, so the, the testimony is such that the girl, of the boy and the girl, just really hated Brianna and wrote in, in her diary and in her text to, the, to, the, to her co-conspirator that she just hated Brianna and wanted to watch her die. It might have been because she was trans, but ultimately there were four kids on that list. And from what I understand, they originally were going to, they, they, they were targeting a boy on the list, but then he turned them down. So he didn't want to meet up with them. And that's when they then targeted Brianna. And I mean, the fact that she had no idea she was un- at threat, that she was in danger meeting up with them, just shows you how psychopathic they are. Because they had clearly been able to charm her into believing that she was meeting up with a couple of kids just to hang out in the park. That's what's so frightening about this. And what, what are your thoughts in terms of the psychopathy and just just the general mindset of those of those two perpetrators i mean i i think they are they are really really ill but how did they become that way and there's that argue argument about nature versus nurture how did they become so and they they're still young what influences have they had was it playing too many violent video games perhaps it's it's hard to fathom that somebody so young can be so evil, so so evil. Well, it's like, and I mean, like you, you've you've like said that she might not have been specifically targeted, but she was still targeted. They'd done their research; it was premeditated. They had a list, 
So they had this preoccupation with violence, torture and death. I think the one thing which I would counter there is like the largest selling video game is Call of Duty in terms of shoot 'em up type video games. I mean, hundreds of millions of copies have been sold and we don't have hundreds of even tens of millions or millions of kids affected that way by it. So I don't think it's that. I think I think it is partly environment. I mean, clearly these kids, when, when you watch things like Criminal Minds, that TV series, where it's sort of based around the FBI and they try to get into the mindset, they, they hunt down these serial killers. And they there there is a theory that there is a mental aberration that firstly switches off empathy. So you are you just don't care. And that can be brought on actually by brain damage. So often it's it's shown that people who are in a car accident and have severe brain trauma, their personality changes. People who have had strokes can have their personality change. So th there is an environmental factor, I think, but some people are just born that way. And I think it must be exasperating for the parents of those two kids because they probably had no idea. And yet everybody assumes they had an idea. Everybody's like, well, how could they not have known? And I think, mm, I think it's, if they managed to convince Brianna to join them in a park on a Saturday afternoon where their intention was to kill her, do you honestly think the parents had any idea? And so what do you do? Do you lock your children away? Do you remove their access to the internet and things like that? And then what you're doing is you're shutting them out of normal society. So you're more likely to actually break them by being overly strict. So I don't know. I, I think I don't blame the parents. And I think there's a it's easy. It's an easy default to say, oh, it's the parents mm. that are at fault. But I don't yeah. think it is. I, I think some people, to quote the Joker, some people just got to watch the world burn. And across the pond, it manifests in these mass shootings. And there was a really, really good movie. I can't think what it was called now. It was We Need to Talk About, and then the kid's name. And it was about the kid that went into a high school and shot people up with a crossbow. And it's the story around that and how the parents, they did think that there was something wrong, but they were at, they didn't know how to, how to deal with it. And they didn't realize it would escalate to that point. And you often hear that with these kids that go around doing mass shootings, that the parents were like, they just didn't realize. And part of it is the gun culture, but the gun culture just gives these kids access to a particular type of weapon. I don't think the gun culture creates the problem. I think it gives them the ability to be more, more. But I mean, in this country, if you look at it as a per capita, I mean, I was, I was up in East Croydon this week, and, and this isn't an indictment on East Croydon because I know this just happens everywhere. But I, I was up there with the family and, and we had we were going there to the home office. And so my partner and our son 
and I we went to we were a bit early, so we went to grab a a coffee, and there, we saw this whole flurry with police and stuff around, and didn't really think much of it. We saw them holding someone on the ground. We thought, what is it like a pickpocket or something? Was there a fight? Anyway, I mean, <laughs> it's it's it happens. So we're in the queue at the coffee shop, and person comes in behind and says. Someone just got stabbed, <laughs> like like on a high street at like half past four in the afternoon. And I was like, I, I looked at my partner. I'm like, oh, well, welcome to East Croydon. And then my son, he's 17. He's like, well, you're forgetting my mate from school who was stabbed three weeks ago in Brighton. So it's all over Britain. We do have a violence problem in this country. And when we've talked about the transgenocide and the, the relative low threat that we face, it's not zero. We are not safe. We are fortunate in, in as much as people are, they don't have the means of mass extermination the way the Americans do. But it doesn't mean that, that there's something wrong in our culture and in our society that these kids are either not getting the mental health they need or they're being born that way. And nature is a powerful thing. And nature's obvious. nature creates these people. Why? For what purpose? And, and why are they coming through? I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's you watch series like Crimes That Shocked Britain. And I mean, there have just been so many of these. And if it was America, there'd be mass shootings. But this is our version of it. And yes, it, it's the body count is lower, but the incident rate is not necessarily per capita lower than the incidents in the US. Now, what do you think? I mean, I think there's that, that saying that says guns don't kill people, people with guns kill people. And whether that is a gun or a knife or some other violent apparatus, at the end of the day, it's... It's the people using those weapons are, are, are like pure evil. That's all I can say is pure evil. Um, and I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is, but it seems like there's something rotten going on all over the world, not just in the UK or in the States, but there's this, this evilness, this rottenness that's going on. And it's like, where do we go from here as a as a civilization? We've we've spoken about civilizations in the past that have disappeared on our on our previous shows and things like that. And it's like, where do we go from here? Maybe maybe it's it's time to start building another ark. <laughs> because how do we recover from this unless we start from from scratch again? Bearing in mind, of course, the people that were on that ark. Their descendants are the Arabs and the Israelis. True. <laughs> so it, it does. Um, but where, where do we go from here? We need a do-over. I, I mean, this is the thing. It's what I was saying in the beginning. It's like you like to think that you're spiraling up, that like you're using the lessons and everything, both on an individual level and, and as a society, that you are ascending. With each cycle, you learn exactly. and you grow and you move at best, we're just going round and round in circles and we're just becoming more and more self-destructive. 
When the Roman Empire imploded, it, it just affected Europe. We're now at the stage where an implosion is a global implosion of society. And we just seem to be, at, and that's why I say at a minimum, we're just going round in circles. I, I think what's worse is we're actually spiraling down. We're taking, instead of taking the lessons from the past and learning to not do them, we're taking the lessons of the past and working out how to be more effective and being worse. I mean, it, it, it would be like us as project managers in our day jobs, not looking at the lessons learned and making changes to the next project that you're doing, but just like going, right, how can we make this even worse in our next project? <laughs> not learning from them. At, no, you at are all. learning. What you're saying I mean, is, okay, so now we know that that doesn't work. So let's double down on that. Let's yeah, do it but again. better. Yeah. We're going to do it even get worse better. this time. Yeah, let's get better at being yeah. rubbish. No, exactly. It's such a good analogy, um, that. Oh, man. Well, we are coming to the end of our show, and I think it's been certainly quite mentally exhausting for me. I mean, there's just so many things going on, and obviously not being well sort of limits your mental, spiritual capacity to actually deal with a lot of these things. On the upside, there's no alcohol, so that's good. <laughs> Certainly feeling better for it. I hope it shows. Got nice rosy cheeks. And, but Are you looking quite amazing considering you've been so ill I know, it's, and that's the worst thing is because I, I jump on calls for work and stuff and they're like, you don't look ill. And I'm like, it's all inside. It's, anyway, really awful. If you're interested to know what, what's going on with me, Google JN1. <laughs> it's not nice. Um, all right. Um, I think I've said enough for this week. Any final thoughts, Lee? Leave us on a positive note. I think we just need to remember that it's not always an easy path, but it's it's one that we will walk together, hopefully with our heads held high and our hearts open. Thank you for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from Lee. Bye. Merry Christmas from everyone at Trans Radio UK.